Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terrilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey everybody, this is Tara Lynn and I have a high five today and that is for actually getting the amount of sleep that I need. And I have told you guys many times that I feel like prioritizing sleep is really important. I mean, I stand behind that. I don't think sleep deprivation is a badge of honor, nor is it a status symbol and sleep is a really important part of self-care. That being said, for years I have continued to not get an adequate amount of sleep. I just feel like, you know, for a variety of excuses that are my choices. But anyway, I lately, this last month, I have been recovering from an injury and it has made so that I am getting the correct amount of sleep because my body is for two reasons. One, because my body is requiring it. Like I can tell my body needs the extra sleep to heal. Like it, it, it doesn't tolerate not getting the right amount of sleep, which for me, I've been experimenting because you know how they say seven to nine hours is for an adult, the right amount of sleep. And we interviewed a guy a while ago about sleep. We can link the episode. And he said, I mean, like 0.00000, some ridiculous small percentage of people fall out of that realm. So he's like, pretty much just assume you're in the seven to nine hours. So if you think you can get along with six, well you can't like just get seven to nine. So anyway, I've been experimenting and a little under eight is like perfect for me. So seven and a half to eight is like my ideal amount. And so it's interesting because my body is saying like, Hey, like this right now with healing, it is requiring that amount of sleep. And I'm not able to just like push through, which I don't agree with pushing through anyway. So it's been great because I'm finally like aligning my sleep with my beliefs about sleep. And it's been (laughs) wonderful. And because I'm not doing like I just have a little more time. So it's the gift. I think you always look for gifts, right? And I have been really enjoying the gift of sleep. And it's making me really want to commit to no matter what, my body, I really need to prioritize that sleep. So my high five goes to, I am well rested and I'm getting eight hours of sleep at night and it's glorious and I can feel it in my body. It's fabulous. Ooh, yes. High five to sleep. I, uh, I feel like I didn't get a great night's sleep last night. So that is just sounding like (laughs) heavenly. I'm like, Ooh, Mm. yes. That is a high five. I think often when there's like a force, slow down in some sort of way, whether it's an injury or like newborns or like whatever you realize like certain things about what you were doing in life that you're like wait a second do I really want to go back to that I think a lot of people felt that with like COVID and like it's like hmm like where you would just keep going along kind of on autopilot for me it's like when there's something that makes me evaluate because I can't do them it's always like oh what do I want to add back in so I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great chance for evaluation and clarity totally. when you have a, a forced slowdown. That is a good way of doing it. Forced a slowdown. Forced slowdown. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay, well, so my um, high five, mine's a high five, and it is to biking. So I feel like um, I served a mission. It's been probably almost 10 years now, and I biked a lot during that time, and I would bike everywhere. Like that was my mode of transportation, and I loved it. And I was like, man, this is so cool. But then since then, haven't really done it a ton. Um I would by no means call myself a biker, but I got like two years ago, I got a little bike seat for my first son, for my little baby. At the time he was a little baby and it was so fun. I loved biking around with him, but then now since I've had a second, I haven't really been able to bike around because I needed, I needed a bike trailer. So I was able to finally find one off of um, Facebook marketplace and I've hooked it up and you guys, I have been loving it. It has been so fun because, um, I don't know who else, anybody listening who actually lives in Utah as well. We've had some amazing summer weather because about every week there's been a storm that comes and kind of cools everything down, which I feel like normally in June, it's pretty sweltering hot every day, pretty much. But lately it's been cooling it down. So about every week there's a few days where it's cooler. And so it's been fun because I feel like I've been able to bike in the middle of the day and it's been beautiful weather. And I bike, like we went to the library and did story time and picked up stuff. We've anyway, and it's so fun because I get to bring both my kids and they love it and I love it. And I feel like there's something so satisfying about, about getting around with your own power. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I don't know. There's something really cool about that, that I'm like loving. And there's probably an element of, I mean, I'm obviously getting endorphins as I'm biking. So that's probably part of the reason why I'm so happy when I'm doing it. But, um, anyway, man, I have just loved it. So if anybody's interested, there's tons of bike trailers that you can get used on KSL or Facebook marketplace or wherever your stuff for way cheaper than you can get them for new. So I would recommend it. And it's such a fun thing to do with your kids. So high five to that. I know that's something I actually miss about our old house. We lived like we're mostly everywhere we would go was flat, like no hills, which is like, you have a slight incline to places, but like where we live now, it's like so hard to bike places (laughs) because everywhere we would go, when you come home, you would be pushing your bike up the hill (laughs) and so I'm jealous of your biking terrain right now you know no that really is true and it's true you don't realize what's an incline until you bike it because then it's like there's certain places like we went to the park and I was like oh no that's pretty flat and then as I was biking it I'm like no this is a little bit there's a little bit of a hill here um so that's true (laughs) so no and that's true because growing up we lived on the hill so I feel like I didn't bike around a ton as a kid because we did live on that hill so it was like that wasn't my main my main thing that I did but no it's true where I live now is is pretty flat mostly everywhere I go which makes it yeah way easier to actually do yeah it's so nice yeah um I've seen an electric bike but does that defeat the purpose I'll just only turn it on when I get to the hill (laughs) Yeah. No, I hear people do that and it does sound pretty great. So, okay. I have a face palm to uh, having enough food at my house. I feel like with summer and all of a sudden having like a little bit older kids, I can't keep 
the amount of food in the house that is required. And summer is extra because I feel like there's like two extra meals because they're playing so hard all the time. (laughs) There's like, it's like breakfast, second breakfast. It's like hobbit eating. (laughs) And I don't really understand. I think I'm just going to have to switch like fully to Costco shopping or something. Like it is on another level. It's its own world that I'm not prepared for right now with the amount of food. And it's only going to get more. It's only going to Yeah, because your kids are still yes. pretty young. They're pretty it's little. only going to go up. So anybody out there with tips on feeding these humans, they're going to be big humans, these boys that we have. They're going to grow yeah. bigger, and it's going to only just go up. So we need all the tips on feeding the masses with large amounts of food for not a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So today we are talking about um, the book, The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov. And you know, what's really interesting about this book that I just discovered. He wrote this in 1989. I don't know why that's surprising to me, but it is. Um, Wait, so did Oprah discover him because it was 1998 when she dis- when did she discover him? Was it around I, then? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, so know. he wrote this book the year that I was born. To eight, to just get my age out there. Wow. So great. it's very interesting. I yeah, know. because this book is basically the premise of the book is that we as like a human species are undergoing kind of like a spiritual evolution where for so long we've like based our perception of power and all these things on external. And now we're looking more into like our spiritual identities and internal power. I just feel like that's really apparent right now. I feel like a lot of people are writing books and talking about um, focusing more on like our spiritual psychology, but I just think it's cool that he wrote this, you know, almost 35 years ago or whatever. Um, yeah, before it's Yeah, because now it's like kind That's of true. popular. So I feel like that gives it some yeah. fun street cred in a way. <laughs> um, yeah. So I will say that if you're going to dive into this book, it's a little dense. Like there's a lot that I was, re- as I was reading, I just was like, I need to like tease out that idea like it and work through it more so today we wanted to share our our favorite ideas from this book that we really felt like we could um wrap our heads around and apply to our lives day to day um and the first one being Zukov um differentiates our personality from our souls. And one of the first quotes that I heard of his was from Oprah. And he says, when the personality comes fully to serve the energy of its soul, that is authentic empowerment. And so this idea is that a whole human is when our soul and our personality are in balance. And I think just innately, we can feel 
when we're not aligned with our soul in quotes. Even if we don't have this very specific description of soul, I think that as humans who are based in like spirit and soul, we can feel when we're out of balance. And so when I heard this, even though he's giving different words to this, it's like, oh yeah, that wisdom is truth. We are more than just our personality and what we perceive as like good or powerful in like everyday life. We have something deeper that makes us make different decisions or serve people in certain ways or love people, even though, you know, they do something that might upset us. Like we are bigger than just our personality. And that's what this tenant describes. So I really, I feel like when I read this, I was like, wow, even though you're describing this differently, I think we all feel that truth. Yeah, totally. Well, and that, yeah, our, our souls are something so much deeper than, than I think we sometimes think about in this life, you know? Um, one of the phrases or I guess terms that he uses, he'll, he'll differentiate between a five sensory human and a multi-sensory human. And what he kind of means is like when we're living in a five sensory way, we're, we're living our life in a way that only our five senses can, can feel. So it's like through our touch, seeing, being able to see with our eyes, hearing, smell, all of those things is a five sensory human. But what he talks about is that we, if we're able to kind of tap into our multi-sensory being, because there's so much going on, he calls it, he uses the word non, uh, non-physical reality, that there's like something more than just simply what we can see, touch, mm-hmm. feel. And that, and I think there's a lot of different words that people use for this, right? There's intuition, there's um, kind of like listening with this, with your spirit, with, and, um, and I think that's kind of what we talk about when we say tapping into your intuition and things like that is this idea of a multi-sensory person. So like when we are able to kind of feel what is right and what is best for us and for our families and things like that. And so I love, I like that he, a lot of what he talks about in the book is being able to really feel in these ways. And one of the cool um, exercises that he has you do at the end, there's a bunch of exercises that you can do. And one of them is write down any times that you have had a multi-sensory experience. And so I think for anybody listening, something fun to try to do is think about times when you have felt something kind of like deeper than yourself. And I think it's really cool because I think it's one of those cool things where as we think back to times where we have felt these feelings of like really deep, deep love that's greater than our own, that I feel like is God's love that we're feeling or this sense of divine divinity or things like that. Um, I think when we're able to recognize it, like look back in the past and see those experiences, we're more likely to recognize them in the future and even seek them out. And so it's kind of a cool exercise to do, I think, to be able to almost practice tapping into that multisensory or or tapping into our intuition a little more. Yeah. One, I love how he, he says, to like, to your point, a lot of this feels like an unknown or like a mystery. And he says, a multi-sensory person has a heart big enough to hold the extremes of life. Life is unsatisfactory. And if you try to contain or keep it one way, then you'll lose this ability to tap into this big like mystery of it. And 
this connects a lot to like if you've read any like Zen or like Buddhist texts the the whole I mean we've talked about it on the podcast a little bit, but like the letting go of our expectations or our holding on to something needing to be exactly one way. Like our heart is big enough to hold the extremes because it is like there is no other we can't keep it any certain way and I just love that straightforward like stating of that's your soul that's the piece of you that's connected to everybody else and to the divine is big enough like you can handle it and I think that's sort of like a permission to be multi-sensory is really it's like a gift. It's like, oh yes, I can. <laughs> I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I think once we tap into that deeper part, so I mean, for me, there's a lot. Like when I think about multisensory, I'm thinking of things like when it's not inside my head, because I mean, five senses obviously. Then there's thinking, but still, my thinking is oftentimes rational. But for me, the heart and even in my gut, you know, that kind of intuition. And for me, when I get, even when I feel stuff, I mean, I've had times where I feel like God has helped me so much lead me in a different direction that isn't my head. Like it's beyond my own head. So for me, I love the term multisensory because it's almost like for me, it feels like opening up from here's our five senses. Plus I'm going to include in that rational thought of just like, I see this, therefore it is, you know what I mean? And then it's this opening up to, I just love that term. It is unsatisfactory when you try to contain it. Life is unsatisfactory if you try to contain it. If you think that there is just five senses, for me, it feels like you're opening yourself up to something that's way bigger than just you. And that, and it's like this feeling of awe. Like when you open yourself up to multi-sensory, when you realize that there is it's more than just you. You're not even, even for me, it's beyond just, it's, it's like the idea that I actually had this really amazing moment in the mountains the other day of feeling like it's like something that I knew, but then I felt it, you know, you know, it with your brain, but then you feel it. This feeling yes. of not only, you know, intuition, guidance, divine guidance, all that amazing, beautiful, beautiful things that it is beyond our five senses. But then there's this beautiful level of, and it feels like mystery to me. It feels like this big, beautiful mystery and that is that we are also all connected. We're all connected to each other. It's like this beautiful like connection that we all have to each other that to me changes the way we view each other. For me, this is actually my favorite takeaway from the book is just, I mean, because I feel like it's one of my most important views in this life that when we interact with each other, it's a sacred space. <clears throat> like not only is... Felicia, when I interact with you, is it your personality that I'm dealing with? But I'm dealing with this amazing, majestic soul. And I can feel that if I'm open to looking at it, right? And I think it just changes the way we interact with each other. It's so much easier not to objectify people, not to use people when you're seeing them as a whole soul, not just the five senses that you can see, not just their bodies, not just their faces, not even just their personalities. But when you see somebody that there's so much more to every single person we come in contact with, that concept, I think is just such a beautiful concept. And it's kind of like, it feels like an opening up to like this amazing, cool, 
world that we live in and all the humans, the souls that we come in contact with and the life, the life of all different lives around us, you know? It's yeah. And he, he like offers, like, if you're like, hmm, how do I like cultivate this awareness of my, like of myself as a multi-sensory being, and you're touching on a few of the things that he offers as like practices, reverence for life, um, inclusivity and beauty in each person that you meet. So that's like seeing them as a whole soul instead of like the circumstance, being humble, not harming others, um, not competing for external power and giving without fear of being vulnerable. And I think all those things like touch on so many, so many truths and, and go into our next like favorite part of this book is your intention. So when you're looking at your life and the people around you, are you, you know, the five sensory human is making judgments all the time of, oh, what they did was right or wrong, or this circumstance is good or bad, good or bad. And Gary says to be, to move into your multi-sensory like awareness is to see the circumstances as neither good or bad, but as appropriate for the needs of your soul or the souls around you. And in that they may or may not be what your personality desires. And I think there's so many circumstances where you want to push against it and be like, that shouldn't have happened. Or like, oh, they're just like such an idiot that they did that or whatever. But if you can switch your mindset and say that circumstance, whether or not it, I liked it, which is like the hard part, because I think automatically we assume that circumstances that are not what our personality desires are bad. But if you can switch it and say it was appropriate for the needs of my soul and his argument as we move into this is that our souls have progression to do. None of us are, you know, this like perfect person. And so all these circumstances serve those needs. And I think that's really interesting. And it is in service of our progression. Like you can learn so much from being aware of that when you're moving through something hard or like through a circumstance with another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, and it brings yeah. up- oh, just that it's like a cool perspective to look at it in that way that it's like, this is serving a purpose because it is annoying. Like when you're, yeah, it's totally annoying when somebody does something that it's like, they're just being selfish or, you know, whatever we have a judgment towards it, but to realize that it's like, we don't necessarily have to agree with what they did, but we can see it as it's helping bring out. He talks a lot about light. And I actually really liked how he, he, he said at one point that it helps, it can help us bring out light in our souls. Like we were able to bring that out. And I thought that was a cool way of looking at that. And one of the common themes that kind of goes throughout all of the topics we're talking about today is the concept of power and how sometimes we use, when we use external power, we're using things like ego and control. And when we're doing authentic power, that's the kind of power that's humble. I love it though, because it's not shying away from power. Being humble doesn't mean that we're afraid of power. It means that we're able to wield our authentic power 
for the good of those around us and for the good of our own soul, which never includes harming somebody else. So one of the things that kind of goes along with this concept of the quote, circumstances in your life are neither good or bad. They're appropriate to the needs of your soul. Uh, a lot of, a, a lot of, for me, well, and I think just for us as humans in general, when we don't like us outward circumstance, we feel one of the pieces of pain is that we're not in control of it. Right. Like we get frustrated because we're like, I can't change that or that's something outside of my control. And it's really frustrating, right? Because maybe it's somebody else's actions and you're like, I just want to tell you what to do and you just do it, right? Like it would be so much easier. So there's this aspect of power and control anytime we're talking about outward circumstances and our frustration with them. And for me, I just also want to clarify here, none of us here are saying that we think that, you know, when you're going through something hard, I mean, because it can be maddening when somebody's like, well, it's for the best. You know what I mean? It's like, no, it's not for the best. It's terrible. I think that is a different way of looking at it than saying in every single situation, whether it's really difficult, whether it's something that we hate, maybe we wouldn't choose it. In fact, I would say most of the times we wouldn't choose it. But I think it is definitely safe to say that there is always some gift you can find from that. You can always take a gift from pain. Always. It doesn't mean you choose it. And it doesn't mean that we're saying like, oh, it's great. Like we're not trying to say it's great. We're just saying that there is gifts that you can choose in every single circumstance. And I think you can find examples, extreme examples of that in history. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, Viktor Frankl in a concentration camp, you know, like you can find amazing gifts in the most mm-hmm. dire of situations. But he says here, and we're talking about power, circumstance, power struggles. He says, a power struggle collapses. And so you can apply this to with other human beings, a power struggle. But right now I'm applying it to this concept of circumstance. A lot of times I am I am having an arm wrestle. And this literally happens to me all the time. I feel like I'm arm wrestling with circumstance, right? Like I'm like being like, no, this is how it's going to be. A power struggle collapses when you withdraw your energy from it. Power struggles become uninteresting when you change your intention from winning to learning about yourself. And for me, this shift, this reframe is really, really, really powerful. I've tried to apply it when I'm having a power struggle with another human being. If I change it from, I want to win, like I want to win this argument. I want to force this human being to do what I want them to do to saying, I'm going to withdraw my energy here. It doesn't mean I'm withdrawing from the conversation but I'm just going to turn into an observer here. What is this telling me about myself? It is amazing how my combativeness just disappears. Like the struggle, like, just like he says, it becomes uninteresting. And particularly in this situation, because we're talking about circumstances, this has been mind blowing for me. The last three months, I've had two specific circumstances that I wouldn't have chosen. I didn't like them. They really frustrated me. I experienced a lot of negative emotion about them. And as soon as I surrendered to, okay, I can't, I can't change it at this point. Like that's happened. It's amazing. And I just got curious about it specifically. And I'm talking about right now, I'm talking about physical injuries. As soon as I got curious about it, like what am I learning about myself here? It is amazing. The entire thing shifted. Like it just turned into a place of curiosity instead of arm wrestling with circumstance and trying to control, which I don't know if you guys have ever tried this, but if you've ever tried to change the past by obsessively thinking about it, it doesn't ever work. (laughs) You can't go back and change the past just in case anybody's wondering if you can, you can't. So you can't just like be like, oh, you know, let's just 
I can Chain build this. So, yes. And I've done that. I remember doing that as a kid. I can't even remember the situations, but I remember having things that like I didn't like. And I'd like try so hard. Like if I just think about it, maybe I can go back in time and just change it. Like maybe if I put enough energy into it, I can change it. But turns out you can't change circumstance once it's actually happened. So <laughs> at least that I've discovered, I don't have like a time turn or anything. But what I'm saying is as soon as I shifted to curiosity, guys, it's mind blowing. Curiosity is this beautiful thing and it takes power struggle away. And you're able to access the deeper parts of yourself when you can shift. What can I learn here about myself? It's incredible, 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 incredible. And it makes so that it like opens up life into this beautiful place of awe and wonder. And I mean, these situations, these circumstances I'm talking about aren't things that I need to get away from, right? They're just things that I need to sit through and learn so much from. There are other situations that require getting out of, right? Like you're not in a safe situation anymore, or you need to fix something, or you need to change something because it is a really bad situation, unhealthy or whatever. And the cool thing about that, you can still get curious. You can still use this exact same concept. You can say, yes, this is the circumstance. It is unpleasant. I am going to choose learning about myself from a place of curiosity and also get far away from the circumstance. I'm going to get out of that abusive relationship. I'm going to take me and my kids to a safe place. I'm going to set a boundary with somebody. You know what I mean? So this space of curiosity that we're talking about doesn't mean apathy. It doesn't mean like becoming a doormat. It just means when you shift into that place of curiosity, instead of a power struggle with our circumstances, then you can, if you need to take action, you can do it from a place of empowerment, authentic empowerment, not ego empowerment, but the actual place of authentic empowerment, which I think is a really powerful place to be. Yeah. Well, and I think something so cool, and we talk about this a lot, that there's so many different thought leaders or you know, spiritual leaders that seem to say some of the same stuff just in their different way. So I really like, because I think when I hear you talking, Terilyn, it does remind me a lot of, like that quote reminds me a lot for me of Byron Katie's work of that sometimes when we're in this power struggle, whether it's with another person, so say it's with your spouse and you both feel one way about something. And you both feel that you're right about it or whatever. But I love that he, I love the quote that it's like, when you withdraw your energy from that, it becomes uninteresting. And when you change your intention from winning to learning about yourself, because it's almost that shift in, because when I think of when he's talking about winning, it's like, well, this should be this way, right? It's like, my spouse should want to do this or, you know, whatever it is, whatever the thing is. But it's like, when I take myself out of that thought, of that perspective and think, what, like, what am I learning about myself here? Like, why do I want my spouse to do this? Like, what is like, you know, to, I'm trying to think of a really good example here, but it's like, why do I want? And then it, it does, it changes it. And it does you're, it's almost like, instead of like pulling against this unmovable object, you let go. And then in that, it's almost like the object moves out of the way and you're able to like continue forward because you have like withdrawn the energy just from struggling with it, you know? Anyway, so I like, I like that. And for me, it reminds me a lot of Byron Katie's work and how she kind of phrases that. Yeah. Because well, you can become, a, um, you can become aware of experience and circumstance, but the only thing you, you can choose is your intention. And so mm-hmm. you do have, you can choose and you have the responsibility for your intention and 
so if you can choose those intentions, then you can align with what you what truly feels good in your soul instead of being reactive to outside circumstances which you ultimately don't have any power over. And that's like a cool yeah. mindset sh- set shift. Like then all of a sudden you have all this freedom because your thoughts aren't being like trapped by circumstance. They're they're in line and in flow with your intention, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Which does segue into one of the other topics that he talks a lot about is intention. And I think, so I thought it was interesting because one of his backgrounds is in physics, which if there's any physics people out there, um, there's the law that like every action has an equal opposite reaction. And he talks about that, that in the physical world, that's true. So if anybody's ever seen those little metal balls that like you, if you lift up one and you let it go, it'll swing. And the other one, have you guys ever seen those where they like, they swing back and forth because they're hitting each other. And that's an example of every action has an equal opposite reaction in the physical world. But he talks about how the non-physical world. So, you know, in that world that we can't always see, feel here with just our five senses, it's the same thing. And so he talks about how, how we treat others, how we act in the world. Every action that we have has the same equal opposite reaction, which I really like. So there's this really great quote that really love that says every action, thought, and feeling is motivated by an intention. And that intention is a cause that exists as one with an effect. In this most profound way, we are held responsible for every action, thought, and feeling, which is to say for our every intention. So um, I think thinking about it in this way that it's like every action, thought, and feeling that we have is motivated by an intention. So I think when we get real about what our intention is behind why we're doing something, why we think a certain way, we're able to really get clear on on kind of like what was our intention here. So with our kids, with our spouse, like in our careers, I think sometimes we do things and we don't always realize why we're doing it. But I love this because this actually brings us to a deeper level of when we can get clear about what our intention is behind any of these things we can have a lot of clarity in our lives. And I think it directs us in a really clear way. And we're able to kind of come at things from a place of our soul, you know, our deep souls, rather than just acting in a way that maybe doesn't get clear on what we really are intending to do with it. So, um, and I think it's so easy to kind of just get caught up in acting or thinking in a certain way and not thinking it from a deeper standpoint of intention and realizing that, that intention, like he says in here, it's it's a cause that has an effect on everything that we do and on the people that we're with. Yeah. So like a real life example, I was just talking to a friend. I'll leave her anonymous, but I'm sure she won't mind me sharing this example. And, you know, they had a family situation where <clears throat> where they live, they have this one sibling that is the only one close to them with kids and so they had a you know a family birthday party and they had planned it as a family birthday party so they really were like told this other family like basically like you're the party because you're the like it's your kid my kids want your kids to come you know and long story short the other family ended up like just not coming at the last 
minute because they got caught up too busy doing something else. And she was talking to me about it and she was really like hurt by them not showing up. And when she was like talking through reaching out to the family to like talk to them about it, I, I was like, wow, she's like being very multi-sensory about this. She, instead of just reacting and texting, she was, or calling or whatever, she was like, why am I reaching out to them? Like, what is my intention with this communication with them? Is my intention to serve my like frustration? I need, just need to like get this off my chest or, and not saying any of these intentions, right? They're neither good nor bad, but it's just the, the awareness of your intention behind any action is, I mean, if anything, it, it gives you a chance to take that pause like we talk about and see, am I responding or am I reacting? And I think that's really important in our situations with other humans because almost always, well, I guess people like swing between the two, but a lot of times like we're just responding selfishly within our own feelings or responding in a way that we're trying, you know, not to make the other person upset. But there's so much power in getting clear about why we're acting or saying anything that we're saying. Mm-hmm. And I think setting an intention, I love that example because setting an intention before you do something changes the entire energy of the whole interaction, right? Since reading this book, Oprah said that she, when people give her pitches for her show, she always now has them say, what is your intention for it? And I even just tried out in my last interview I did for this podcast at the beginning, I said, you know, so this is what we're talking about, but what's our intention? Like, what do we actually want our listeners? What do we want to happen from this conversation? And just saying an intention, it's amazing. It changed the whole energy of the conversation because you're clear about your intention. And I really like it because sometimes in my life, my intentions, when I look at them, they're conflicting. I have conflicting intentions. And Gary says that when you have that, that it's a stronger intention that wins out. So, you know, he gives examples with relationships. Like if your intention is to have this happen in your relationship, whatever one is stronger, that's the one that's going to eventually happen, which to me is really powerful. I mean, I know we're talking about, this is kind of law of attraction stuff. But I think it's really powerful when you start because it's different than just saying, what do I want? It's, it feels different. Or what do I hope is going to happen here? That feels different to what do I intend? For me, the word intend changes the power back to me. Like it's like a, what am I? Like what am I? What seeds am I planting here? What is my intention? It just feels different than all the other words that we use. I don't know. I, I feel like that that is a really, really powerful word. And, and it's one thing to say, you know, what is that phrase? The path. It's saying that like, you can't live your life with just good intentions, but never do mm. anything. The path you know to hell about? is paved by good intentions. Is that what you're Oh yeah. Saying? The path to hell is, is paved by good <laughs> intentions. <laughs> um, for me, that's a different concept of intention, right? Like, well, I intended well, like I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I just did. Uh, like to me, that's a different concept of what we're talking about here. To, I, f- here, it feels like we're talking about the really deep, like deep in my heart. What am I intending here? Feels different than just like, oh, well, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Nice. You know what I mean? That just feels different to me. We're talking about like the kind of deeper, like really, what are we pulling towards us? 
And for me, when we get clear about that, it's just, it's amazing because it really, for me, it changes every action that I do. And specifically, it changes my interactions with people. If people, I think people can feel it. So. And I think there's two, for me, I think there's actually really two concrete ways. If you're listening and you're thinking, I want to, I want to get clear on my intentions and I want to be better at this. I think there's two ways and Gary kind of talks about this, but, um, number one is kind of what you said, Terrilyn, of beforehand, kind of when you're planning your day, when you're planning your week, whatever, however that looks for you. And even like bigger picture intentions for maybe your life or whatever that may be setting, setting an intention beforehand is incredibly powerful. So really getting clear on what are my intentions here? But then I think there's also a really key piece of then like at the end of a day or something, reflecting on your intentions can help you get clear. Cause sometimes it can be at the end when you review or reflect your day, you can think about it from an intention standpoint. So thinking, what was my intention there when I did that? whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that happened. So say something happened and you reacted in a way with your kid or your spouse or a friend in a way that maybe wasn't, you didn't feel like it was your true self or how you would have wanted to react. You can think about it from an intention standpoint. And I think that question is just kind of interesting and it brings kind of a new light to um, to the whole thing. So I think those are two different questions, like setting an intention beforehand, but then also the power of reflecting afterward and thinking, what was my intention there can bring us a lot of power and then help us in the future to be more intentional, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I think it's, it's powerful in like what you're saying. The second part is powerful when we're thinking about forgiveness and really it's holding yourself accountable for your piece of any situation and your contribution to the situation. I love how Gary says forgiveness is not a moral issue. It's an energy dynamic. So he's like describes us as like these dense bodies and we have this love and light that can move through us if we only allow it by releasing. So if we can see forgiveness as releasing ourselves and the other person, which you can only do like with compassion for both, then we're able to drop that baggage. And I think there's so many, there's so much blocked, like when we haven't forgiven someone (laughs) or forgiven someone for not forgiving us or whatever, like there's so much blocked energy in like grudges and forgiveness and like tied up in that whole dynamic in relationship that I think he just did such a beautiful job of describing it as an energy dynamic. So whether or not you think they did something wrong or you did something wrong. And like Terlin was saying, it doesn't mean that forgiving someone does not change the boundaries that you hold, but releasing yourself from that like blocked energy dynamic that is non-forgiveness is just so freeing. Like we've all felt that every time we forgive someone and Allow, or allow ourselves to be forgiven, which is also like a huge piece of the puzzle, um, then it just feels like a whole weight is is lifted. And that all comes through, you know, that accountability piece for our intention. 
I feel like the concept of forgiveness is one of those liberating concepts that every single human being could work on. Like we all have, in fact, who, who was I listening to years ago? I think it was Dave Asprey, who's like a biohacker, but he said that in all of the liberating work that he's done, forgiveness work has been the most and his like looking at what, you know, cause he's like obsessed with making a human life better. Right. That is one of the most powerful things you can do to make humans not only feel better emotionally, but physically. Like, I mean, if forgiveness is a huge thing, when we hold on to stuff, it affects us physically. And for me, the way Gary described forgiveness is fabulous because forgiveness doesn't mean that you're saying what the person did is okay or that it was good whether you're approving of their behavior. And you're also not saying that you would choose it. I think a lot of people get caught up with forgiveness because they're saying, well, if I forgive this person, that means I'm saying that like I'm validating that that behavior was okay or that I would almost choose it. Like they start feeling like, no, I would not have chosen that. No, that was terrible what that person did. But it goes back to what we're talking about of can you take the price of your pain, find, you know, receive the gift, whatever it was. It doesn't mean you choose it. It doesn't mean you approve of it, but then you're releasing the person for your, from your own experience. Like you, what you're experiencing now, in fact, this is totally Byron Katie stuff that we're going into now, but the pain that you're feeling now is you. So it's a, it's sad. I mean, it's difficult that somebody else did something in the past that hurt you, but now that that thing is over, now it's you hurting you, right? Like, Every time you relive it, every time you are feeling those feelings, it's now you're thinking that you're not releasing that person and holding them accountable. You're not holding them accountable. You're just punishing yourself over and over and over and over. In fact, she used the example of hitting, you know, she's like, he hit me in this moment. The hit happened. And she's like, every other time I feel pain after that, it's me hitting me with his fist in my imagination, right? It's... So it's that releasing, there's this beautiful, and as I say this, this is something that I need to, honestly, I'm trying to figure it out myself, but I love the concept of we are holding our own selves accountable for our current experience. So we can drop that somebody else is forcing us to relive something that somebody else is responsible. It's just giving, it's giving, it's just taking your power back really, which is so cool. I just love that concept that we're releasing. Like I actually picture, I've done some when I do forgiveness work with myself, I actually like go in, you know, I like meditate, I sit still. And then I actually imagine myself looking at the person and saying, I forgive you. This is some, it's like a Polynesian practice, but you say, I forgive you. I love you. And then I actually say, and I'm sorry, because obviously we can always apologize for whatever, even if it was just like I had violent thoughts in my mind, really negative thoughts in my mind towards somebody, there's always something you can ask for forgiveness for. So I'm sorry. I love you. And then I actually picture just cutting a string. Like I picture a string in between us and it's all the resentment, all the pain, all the hurt. And I just picture cutting the string and like letting them walk away. Be like, I am not, I am not connecting myself. I'm responsible now for myself. I'm taking my own power back. And I'm cutting that resentment string. And for me, that visualization has been helpful. But it's really just releasing. I mean, we've all heard the quote, you know, forgiveness is releasing the other person and then realizing that that person is you, that you're setting free. But that is when I have had experiences with forgiveness, that is how it's felt. 
it feels like I'm giving this act of, it feels like I'm giving the person a gift, but in the end it doesn't do anything for them. It's just me. Like, it's just me that I'm giving the gift to. Yeah. I think that concept, um, like truths always show up in like all different places. And like, it reminds me of the, you know, before you like, what is, what is this quote? Uh, something, something before you like remove the, the beam out of your own eye. And then you can clearly see to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Christ. Is it in Matthew? Yeah. It's from, yeah, it's from the Bible and it's take the, before you try to take the moat, which is like a little piece of dust out of your brother's eye or your neighbor's mm-hmm. eye or somebody else's eye, yeah. remove the beam yeah. from your own. Because yeah. It's, yeah. It's and true. Gary, you know, he says the same thing, like, and this is his quote, when you have an emotional reaction to what you see, you are judging. That is your signal that you have an issue inside of yourself with yourself, not with the other person. If you react to evil, look inside yourself for the very thing that so agitates you and you will find it. If it were not there, you will simply discern, act appropriately and move on. So I just like the the recognition of, oh, I'm like so frustrated that this person's not showing up for me. And then it's, you know, Byron Katie, turn it around. I'm not showing up for me or I'm not showing up for them. Like there's always in any sort of like agitation, there's always a way that you can see why that is triggering you. And I think that helps me just get it. It's the, you know, getting clear on, on what I need to be learning from any circumstance, which again, doesn't take away that that person hurt you, take away their actions, but it is the part that you have um, any sort of choice about. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, and I think he talks a lot about, we have power, like when we have power leave us or like when power goes out of us, he uses that concept that it's like, we, we are powerful beings and we're having power go out of us a lot. And he actually says, there's a quote that I wrote down just along that, those lines of, I think we let power out in a way that is, um, not productive or helpful for us or other people when we get stuck there. Like when we get stuck in the fact of like, yeah, like this person isn't showing up for me or this. And like, we almost can't get out of it until we're able to almost like, we realize that our thoughts are causing us this pain. Um, the, the quote that I really like from him says, when power leaves you in any, anything besides strength and trust, it can only bring back to you pain and discomfort. So let me just like say that one more time. When power leaves you in anything besides strength and trust, it can only bring back to you pain and and discomfort. So I think about that. Like if something is going out in a way that is either, you know, in the form of greed or um, any sort of negative feelings, it does come back to us in, in pain and discomfort in a way that like it creates discomfort in us in what you're describing where it's like, yeah, like I am, I'm bugged about this or I'm agitated in this way because I'm putting so much energy into making it a way that it isn't, you know what I mean? Anyway. And that's, that's kind of the Byron Katie part. But when we go forward and just realize like letting that power go out in strength and trust and kind of strength in knowing that like, (laughs) I hope I can explain this right. That like 
the situation that you're now, like, it is what it is that like where you are now, like you can't fight against reality. And almost when we don't expend our energy or power in that way, we give ourselves power through that. Does that even make sense? Am I like, (laughs) so anyway, I love that quote and I actually have been thinking about it a lot and like, is the power that I'm letting out, is it going out in strength and trust? Like, or am I getting caught up in like, oh, like they shouldn't have done this or like I'm feeling distrustful about this or whatever. Anyway, I think I I like try to think about that. Like is the power that I'm letting out coming out in this way? Because like that is how I want it to be. I want it to be full of light and strength, you know? Mm. I think it's a good visual that's kind of helped me think about what I'm putting out Mm. and therefore then what's going to be coming back to me. Which is fabulous because it comes back to – when we're talking about power, I mean, it comes back to the idea of control and realizing that the thing we have power over is the inside of ourselves. And the thing I love about this whole concept, I mean, it's a concept of clarity, right? It comes back to so much what we talk about in parenting, in our relationships, in this entire podcast, that when something happens that we have a really strong emotional reaction to, the place to look is inside of ourselves. Because there's a reason why we're having a strong reaction to it. And it's not about the other person. It's about us. You know, when our kid does something that we just feel that feeling so strong reaction inside of us, it means it's a trigger and there's something inside of us we need to look at. Maybe it's something that's similar to ourselves, or maybe we feel resentful because we weren't able to do that as a kid. So therefore they should feel grateful or whatever it is, but there's something inside of us. Anytime we have that really strong emotional reaction to me, it's like this little signal of, hold on, this is something to look at, which goes back to what Caitlin was saying of. So where is my power? Like, where is my authentic power? And it's inside of me. My authentic power to control is inside of me. Therefore, it's easy to send things out with trust and strength when I realize that my power is not to exert control and force people to my will, right? It's when I realize that it's inside of me that that's when I can send it out with strength because I'm confident in my own strength and my own power. The inside, and even when I say my own strength, for me, that includes divinity, right? Like it's coming through me, but it's not power over somebody else. And so, yeah, I can, I can trust that I can, I can be in a place of strength there. Yeah. Which to me leads on to, I was going to say, I think what exactly what you're connecting this to and what we get a lot of questions about and what we try to do a lot of work on is when I'm looking at all the things that. I'm choosing to do or needing to do or wanting to do or being forced to do (laughs) what, how can I determine what are my true needs, wants, desires, blah, blah, blah. And what needs are being created for my external personality or my ego. And I think all of this work helps us distill, you know, separating our soul from our personality setting clear intentions and and having that clarity can all lead us to an authentic life um which is so important because gary says and i believe that when you live inauthentically and you take action from a place of in inauthentic like personality or ego then you will feel really drained but if we can swap it and figure out our true needs then I mean, we all feel that when we have a day where we're aligned with our soul, you, you do feel more energetic. And I think that's a really beautiful part of this 
like going through this process. And for me, this was like a mind blowing concept that I've actually been applying in my life and it's helped me so much. The concept of false needs to me is just so, so, so helpful. So he, Gary says that our, our soul does have needs, right? Connection, love, meaningful purpose, right? Those things are needs, deep needs. However, then there's all these other things that are false needs. So he used the example of like your neighbor is being really loud and it irritates you. You think you have a need for quiet all the time, but really all it is, is it's a false need. It's an ego need of control. You wish your neighbors didn't make loud sounds that irritated you, right? Because we can't control sounds, all the sounds in our lives, right? Like if we got irritated over every sound, it'd be really difficult. Um, Same thing with our kids. When we have things, you know, the thought that actually came to my mind is I think a lot of us think we have the need to be respected all the time. So when somebody does something that we feel like they're not obeying us, our kids aren't obeying us. Oh my gosh, they just used a sassy tone of voice or that person didn't do what I wanted. They're disrespecting me or that person wasn't on time. They disrespected me. Whatever it is, we have this thing. We have this need of like people must treat me a certain way or else my need isn't being met. And to me, the fault, the, that's a false need because as I've been thinking about because I've been paying attention in my own life to the things that bother me. They're all things around that kind of frame. Somebody else doing something that bothers me and I feel like a need isn't being met. But what it is, is the false need of control, right? Like I think everybody else should do this this certain way and all of it's just a false need. And so for me, it was like this, mind, I don't know why this is so mind-blowing for me because it's a it's like a sister to so many of the other concepts we've talked about so many times, but just identifying in my life, almost every time I'm irritated by something, it's a false need. It's my psyche, my ego trying to make me feel like I'm justified in feeling irritated. So then, so the need is feeling justified and control. So I have this need for control. It doesn't happen. Therefore I need to justify my feelings by saying, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this person's doing this. And all of it's just a false need. So once I realized that, I'm like, oh, this is false. It's actually just whatever it is underlying it. It's actually just control. Or it's actually just, I want to feel justified. Or it's actually just, I'm feeling cranky and impatient. And therefore, everything everybody else is doing is just bothering me. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to justify my own feelings here. Once I can identify that, then he says, all you do is just say, that's a false need. That's not real. It's not the needs of the soul, which are love and connection and all those kinds of things. A need for my circumstances to be a certain way is a false need. So it's a false need. And this is my emotion. Name the emotion. Which is so cool because I mean, we practice this all the time, right? It's so powerful. But it works here too. And I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling impatient. I'm feeling irritable. And then all you do just by doing that, it distances you. How he says it is it distances you from that false need. And over time, false needs have, they lose their power over you, right? So you're not going to lose lose your cool because your neighbors are being really loud anymore because you realize it's just false need, which I don't know why, but for me, that was like a really mind blowing concept that has just that little tool. It's a tweak to something that I already do, but tweaking it like that has really helped me, especially in the summertime when I have my kids around all the time and just large herds of children everywhere. It's, it's really helpful yeah I have a little star star question mark question mark 
around this area of the book <laughs> that I wanted to ask you guys and for everyone listening, this is pop, pop question, pop quiz. They don't know this is coming, but <laughs> whenever like I'm reading this part and I agree with it and then I'm like, this gets so confusing when your primary role is a role of service to others, which when you're, you and your uh, parent or a caregiver is pretty much like a lot of your life is doing things that you wouldn't necessarily choose to do in the moment. Like a lot of your life is that. And so whenever like there's this conversation around like choice, like we talked about, like, yes, changing. So you're like, what am I choosing to do in my life? I just think this gets like sometimes sort of like mucky for me. Like it's not as easy to see like true needs versus wants, desires, whatever. So I'm just throwing that out there. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? That topic? Like, like how to distinguish between true needs versus um, like wants? Yeah, I just feel like there's, there's things that we're told that so just like to do a blanket statement, all of us are mothers who stay at home to take care of our kids. And I know a lot of our listeners are in a similar situation or maybe like working some on the side. And there's things that we're told that in quotes, like a good mom does. And maybe even we hold those beliefs, but at some point there is a clarification that we need to do with our own soul about what are truly those things or needs, like what fulfills that love and connection and what is either my ego or an external circumstance telling me, because there are a lot of them where it's like, this feels pretty inauthentic and draining when I'm doing this activity. (laughs) So like, I, I get, I have no answers. I just like, when I was listening, thinking, Hmm, like, is it the choice piece? Is it, then we change and we choose to do those things. And then in that way, we're like using our intentions to change it into something authentic or, or not. Is there a place where it's really is inauthentic and we need to look at, should we actually be doing those things? It's both like, I'm sure, but I just think it's interesting Mm -hmm. to think about from a role of a caregiver. Hmm. Well, as you were talking, Felicia, I, what comes to my mind is it was actually a mom who listens to our podcast who I was talking to, who has a full-time job. And she was saying, um, that, you know, how she was actually, it's fascinating because she was saying in my job, I do a lot of things because it's part of my job description that, yeah, it's not soul fulfilling to do, but I do it because I'm supporting my family. And then when I get home that I'm having to do the same thing, right? I'm doing things. Some of them do feel so fulfilling and others are not. They're mundane and they're not even connecting because even a diaper change, you can say a diaper change is mundane, but there's this beautiful place of connection. But then there's all these other tasks that are not connecting. So yeah, of course they're not feeding your soul because they're just a task. It's cleaning up Cheerios for the hundredth time or whatever it is, but there's really not like a connection there. So you can't say it's soul fulfilling, but so what comes to mind when you're saying that is, I think it comes down to, for me, 
being okay with not everything in our life is going to be meeting that deep need. Part of it is just when you have a life, you know, like my husband does stuff at work all the time that is soul sucking, right? Like he's just like, oh my gosh, like all the emails and specifically like dealing with insurance stuff. I mean, to me, that sounds like full-blown torture, right? But he does it because he chooses it because of everything else that that career gives to our family, right? So that's how I look at it as a caregiver. It's the same thing is, yes, would I choose it from a place of soul-fulfilling need every task I do? Definitely not, right? Some of it is fulfilling, but a lot of it is just tasks that are part of what the reason why I choose it is because what it contributes to my family's life, not because it necessarily fulfills a need of mine though. And so for me, I think it's just finding the balance of finding, choose. so the choice comes in choosing what am I wanting overall here and being okay with a lot, a lot of those tasks aren't necessarily soul fulfilling, but then making sure that we have, that we do also have things that are meeting those deeper needs. But as a percentage of the day, you know, it's, it's only a section of it that, that does that. And then there's a lot of the section that maybe it isn't even fulfilling my needs, but it's fulfilling my kids' needs. And in here. I don't know, but how to do that. And also, I feel like the underlying question you're asking is there's a question about resentment there, right? Like, where do we, how can we give from a place where it doesn't feel like we are stultifying ourselves from and having resentment about it. And I think you can apply that to caregiving or from careers because I think, and there are a lot of people who have full careers who do enough things in it that they feel like are draining them that over time it does create resentment, right? They're like, I've been, I've literally dedicated 20 years of my life to this job and it was like I did all these tasks over and over and over and it just felt like drudgery. And so there's resentment that builds up. So I think, I think for everybody, whether you're a caregiver or you're looking at what you do as a daily basis for your work that you're getting paid for all of our work. So I guess it applies to all work, right? Whatever our work is that there's how to, how to balance that the place of meeting your own needs, doing it from a place of choice, but knowing that some of it is just tasks that aren't necessarily soul fulfilling, but they're just tasks that you're still choosing because it's creating the life that you want for your children or your family. I don't know. What, well, I don't yeah, know. I think, it's definitely not a definitive answer. Well, that's I think sure. there's a couple places to do work around. One of them is I, there's more and more a trend towards uh, personal development telling us that our life should be just like, woo, everything we want 24 seven. We should be living on an island and only doing fulfilling work. And it's just like the best. <laughs> and that's setting aside like the fact of our humanness. It's like trying to transcend that. And I think that's like something to do, like thought work around. And then also like the development of an internal life and contentment that is regardless of circumstance, which gives us um, like fortitude through situations, through experiences to where even if this day is hard and frustrating and all the things, our internal landscape is such that we can, we can still have peace inside of it, which is, you know, kind of what this book is saying. So, yeah. Yeah. I think 
And again, I think I think there is probably some more thought work to go around it, but I did really love the idea of like asking yourself, what's my intention behind this? And I think there probably is a lot of power to any of these because I think, John, you bring up a really good point. I think there's so many people that are in totally different circumstances with when it when it comes to caregiving, right? You have people that are working full time, and then on top of that, are also then trying to, you know, take care caregive for their kids or even other people. And then you have full stay-home moms and you have people that are working part-time. And there are pieces of that in in all of those elements that are undesirable or or could be unfulfilling. Um, but I do think there is power in thinking, like actually thinking like what is my intention behind and then fill in the blank. Like it's like if it's, you know, cleaning up your house after like a big day of everybody playing at your house. I don't know. I think you can fill it in that it's like my intention here is that I, yeah, like I want my home to feel the certain way or I want, or if it's cooking a meal, it's like I want, I want to do this because I, my intention is, is that I want my kids to feel connected when we eat together or I don't know, you could fill in the blank with any of it, but I do think, and we've, I know we've talked about this in other episodes, but I think there is power in that, in bringing that into any element of your life, whether it's your career, whether it's home with your family, whether it's in whatever, it's like, what's my intention behind this? And I think that then when we can align ourselves with those intentions, that does bring, yeah, it brings fulfillment in a way. But yeah, I think there's definitely some thought work to go around it. And it is going to look different for everybody because I think for some people, they are going to feel more satisfied and fulfilled just naturally doing certain things while other people might not. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it might look a little bit different for each person too. I'm giggling because I have this like subconscious aversion to being like, it's like the rebel in me to being manipulated even by my own thoughts. (laughs) And so I like constantly (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, the intention, what do I want? And then I'm like, wait, am I just brainwashing myself that that's my intention? And so I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again, even though it's really not my intention. And then like 10 years down the road, I'm like, wait, no, I didn't want to do that. So it's like, it's it like chicken and the egg. Like what is it like your gut feeling? And then you shape your actions off of that. Or is it the opposite way where it's like, okay, I'll just choose to set this intention. And then that will be the course that feels authentic. I don't know. Woo! There for a second. <laughs> well, that's an important. That's a good question, though, because I, as you were saying that, I was like, oh my gosh, choice. Because I'm so, well, I mean, like obsessed with like I choose this, even if I don't like it necessarily. I'm choosing it for a reason. So as you said that, it was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, where does the intention come from? Does it come from choice? <laughs> Or does it come from our gut? I mean, because I, I think if we don't, there has to be, well, choice has to be the last place. Because even if it is coming from inside of you, you do have mm-hmm. to still choose it, right? But the question is, can we also choose intentions that, oh, that's a, I don't know. That's a, that's a deep, that's Homework. A deep question, Felicia. <laughs> hmm. Homework. Yeah, that's a really deep question. I love it. The thought. The other thought that just came to my mind is I was picturing lives of people who I admire. And I'm thinking of like my grandma who grew up on a farm, did a lot of work that was mundane and not flashy at all. She was a school teacher 
And I mean, I look at her life and she was so satisfied with her life. Like she lived a life of, I mean, I think at the end of her life, she was, you could tell when I talk with her, she looked back on her life of like so satisfied. Like I have lived such a meaningful life and a lot of it was just mundane stuff, right? You know, working on a farm with her family, teaching thousands of children, doing tasks that were not pleasant and she didn't shy away from hard work. And I don't think she spent nearly as much time as I do about thinking like, what fuels my fire and all those kinds of things. So to be clear, I, I, for me, I value that I live in a time where I am able to ask myself those questions and find things that, that light me in a way that she didn't have the opportunity to do. So as I say that a lot of it is just the time that she was born. She wasn't allowed that feeling. In fact, what book was I reading? I can't remember what it was. He was talking about just how, how far we've come. Oh, it was stolen focus where he talked about how his grandmother, two of his grandmothers growing up in Europe, how one of them in particular grew up loving art. But for a woman at the time, it was like, oh, that's fun. You like art, but you're going to get married when you're 16 and never think about art again. Right. Like you don't even have the chance. And now he's like, my niece loves art. And we're saying things like, what art school would you like to go to? What kind of an artist would you like to be? So I, as I say this, I know that so much of it is just the blessing of being born when I'm born that I can ask myself those questions of what lights my fire? What is like a thing that helps me live my life from a place of like truly living? So I feel like some, I just don't, what I'm saying is I don't want to lose though that meaningful service that comes from doing things that doesn't light your fire, right? Choosing it. And so again, I guess I'm just comparing myself to my grandma, somebody who I admire, who did live a really meaningful life full of connection, but so much, I don't know, it's so emotional for me, but so much mundane stuff. But as I say that, I also, I mean, I've read enough memoirs about people who like for her, she loved that lifestyle, like the quiet small town life and um, I know other people who grew up on a farm who like from the beginning was like, this is not for me. Like, I do not want the farm life. I want to live in a big city. I want to do that, whatever it is. And they did or they didn't. But you feel that pull. And I know other people, <laughs> I'm thinking of another, a man I know who grew up doing business, but he always felt the full pull towards farming. And so he is an adult in like his thirties, like was like, I'm going to become a farmer. And that was what was calling to him. Right. So I think we all have things that pull us. And in all of those things, there's going to be mundane work that we feel like is sucking our soul <laughs> in it somewhere. But it's just the overall, like we have, we do just what Caitlin was saying. We have individual stuff, individual like things that pull us towards one thing or the other different lifestyles, different kinds of work, whatever that kind of work is. But I do think that within that work, all of us are going to find things that light our fire and things that feel like drudgery in that, right? But it's this the overall creation of, are we creating a life that's meaningful? So I feel like I just like went all around the board there, but, <laughs> but, but I think accepting that we do, are we are individuals, we're going to feel pulled towards different things. And like, I mean, I feel really strong pulls towards stuff, but how can I balance that with also doing things that create meaningful things long-term? 
but feel like drudgery sometimes, you know, can I still choose them from a place of authenticity? I, I think, I don't know. And intention, Felicia, I'm really going to think about that intention. Cause I do feel like a lot of my intentions are choices. Mm-hmm. Like I just choose them. Yeah. So where do they come from? And am I forcing them, you know, am I forcing them from a place of inauthenticity? In yeah. I think that you need to <laughs> polish us off here with this quote and maybe it will it will lead us to some truths as we deep dive into that. This uh, really cool quote on love and authenticity. So this is my favorite of all the things in the book. This is my favorite thing because it's about love. And Gary Zukoff said, an authentically powered person lives in love. Love is the energy of the soul. Love is what heals the personality There is nothing that cannot be healed by love. There is nothing but love. So maybe that's where we should look. Our intentions motivated by love. And maybe then it doesn't matter if it's a choice or it comes from our gut or not. Because if it's powered by love, it's probably a good space to come from. I I think that's a full circle right there. So good. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Helping us flesh this out. Let's find the magic. Today's episode is brought to you by Chamonix skincare products. Does anybody else have the struggle of finding a skincare company that they believe in and that they trust their ingredient list, but also still get good results for their skin? I have totally had this experience and this challenge. And lately I have been using Chamonix products and they are absolutely wonderful my skin has a tendency to break out and so my favorite two products right now are their ultra retinol for sensitive skin which has hyaluronic acid in it and then also i love finishing it up with their genucel plant stem therapy anti-wrinkle treatment which is just this really creamy moisturizer i put on over the top and it is fabulous so if you want to check out their skincare i would highly recommend them you can go to betterskintoday.com and they have a fabulous money back guarantee. So again, that's betterskintoday.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-S-K-I-N-T-O-D-A-Y.com and give them a try. If you've enjoyed being with us with Find the Magic, we would so appreciate it and we are so grateful if you could leave us a review. It means a ton to us and it really helps us. So we do read all of the reviews that come through and they mean so, so much to us. One that was just recently posted in the spring is from Jessica Johnston. And when I read this, I was so, so moved. She said, who knew a podcast could be so life-changing? After my first baby, I suffered from crippling postpartum depression and anxiety. I went to a maternal health mental health clinic and my therapist recommended this podcast to me i have been listening ever since two years later i still look forward to every episode and i am now months into my morning practice this podcast has helped give give me tools to love my life feel joy in the present moment and deepen all my most important relationships i am so grateful for these women and their perspective and knowledge i feel like they are my friends and they truly have inspired me to make life-altering changes that are helping me find the magic in my everyday. Jessica, thank you so, so much for this review. This was so meaningful for us, and we all read it, and we're just filled with so much gratitude. And I have to say, we feel like you are our friends too. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. And um, again, thank you so much for this review. It means the world to us.
Brown cows. <laughs>